Hi, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. everyone welcome to wandering dms i'm paul and i'm dan and on this week's show we have as a very special guest mr michael curtis who is author of the very famous stonehell dungeon uh contributed to dozens of other old school adventures and just as of this weekend he is the brand new director of product development for dungeon crawl classics over at goodman games and michael thank you so much for joining us today Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here on this wonderful Sunday afternoon. So, it's a, I think this is an exclusive. I think this is the first appearance you've had since the announcement of uh, taking over product development for DCC, right? It is. In fact, you know, they had uh, Woodward and Bernstein. They wanted to speak with me on Saturday, but you know, I, I put them off for a little while because I know I had promised to be on the show. So you know, so we'll, 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 we'll Tuesday. You know, so we greatly appreciate it. Greatly appreciate it. Oh my goodness! Um, so we were having a great, we were having a great, uh, as, as usual. We started, to, we started to have a great conversation before the show that threatened to overrun the show part of the show. Um, so just for starters, um, you know, thinking about uh, your 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 Stonehell dungeon and the dungeon alphabet that you wrote, you know, now ten plus years, um, there was a, there was a particular window where uh you know people were doing what we call osr stuff indie stuff a little bit before fifth edition D D really took off mm-hmm. um do you uh was it was that a very limited window in in which that kind of stuff was possible most people now publish for fifth edition even if you're an indie maker now right I, w- I would be in agreement with that because there was that period. Um, wh- I mean, I there was like the late aughts where it just seems like there was the the OSR blogosphere because that was I don't I, I think fourth edition was still fourth edition DD was still out at that point, uh, and some of the I think some of the old school TSR stuff had just first started appearing on like drive through at that point. But there was that period where people who, you know, like roughly, you know, <laughs> gamers of a certain age who grew up with the, you know, the Menser box set or, you know, the, uh, the Mulvey, you know, the BX set or anything like that were kind of turned off by like what 3.5 did and what fourth edition did. And they said, well, why can't, you know, why can't we play like what we did when we were kids? And then it was kind of like you, you know, life went on, and you you you've lost your mentor box set or anything. And it's you know, if you want to try to get it, it's of course it's you know, hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars on on eBay. And that's kind of what like brought in the 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 retro clone movement, which is everybody like using the, you know the the SRD to like okay, well here's a way to play the way we did at the same time at an affordable price. Yeah, you know, so I mean that's what we saw Swords and Wizardry, we saw Osric, we saw Labyrinth Lord, you know, and 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 a hundred hundred thousand other fantasy heartbreakers of everybody who took those things and created their own OSR clone at that point. So yeah. Yes. Um, but, I was I was so I was just looking at my copy of Stonehell and I see that it's right on the cover says for Labyrinth Lord. Um I actually spent <laughs> Labyrinth Lord was my favorite at that time. That's the one I was using uh to uh, uh to run stuff around there around the or late aughts. Uh, I'm curious, did you look into a bunch of, uh, did you, 
like what brought you to choose Labyrinth Lord at that time, if you remember? <laughs> the, the very first box set that I owned was the the, the Mold Bay basic set, the, mm-hmm. the basic uh, class, like maroon box, everything. And that was my I pl- I played using the Holmes rules, but the first set that I owned was BX, and that has always been kind of my go-to because there's just enough there that. You know, there's there's just enough there that it, it covers basically everything you need to do, but it's still loose enough that you can right exactly. So you can <laughs> you can still um, like bolt stuff onto it. So I had looked at uh, you know I looked at, at Swords and Wizardry and I looked at uh, Osric and Osric was still more like A D and D at that point. Yeah. I, 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 you yeah. know, um, and was like the perfect. You know, I I I didn't really even have to reread the rules because it's like I I know these. This is now part of my DNA. You know? Yeah. So, I know. So, um, I mean, I'm like pre-Bargle. I think I spent a lot of time on my blog in those in that period, sort of discovering the surprising differences between Labyrinth Lord and and the original BX because I still had my BX books at the time, and I just kept being surprised, like, oh wait, that's not. Oh, Labyrinth Lord did what? Uh, okay, <laughs> oops. I think I even ended up like house ruling back several BXisms back into Labyrinth Lord at that time. Um, mm. But it was it was yeah it was definitely good. I, I feel like a lot of good good material got published for Labyrinth Lord. Uh, you know, in that in that period, was was the Dungeon Alphabet also pitched against Labyrinth Lord, or was that more? No, no. The, uh, the Dungeon Alphabet originally appeared on my blog at that point because, like everybody at that point, I had a blog, and um, and I originally was decided that I said I needed to take a week off of like you know not blogging. So I said, <laughs> let me put together kind of like. I'm going to give us like this two week thing, and I'll and I'll publish a couple letters each day, like you know Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and everything, and then I'm not doing it through two weeks. And somewhere in between that two weeks, I or, or immediately thereafter, I got an email from Joe Goodman saying, "This is really good. Uh, would you consider you know developing this into a, a like a RPG supplement?" So awesome. I I took a look, and, and he looked legit. So I said, "Okay, you know, I'm, you know why not?" Yeah. So that was and, uh, that was your that's how I got yeah wow wow awesome joe was keeping an eye on what was going on like you know in the in the osr at that point and everything and and he liked the he liked the dungeon alphabet and you know that was he he offered me he said said, all right you can try this stuff out and i guess he liked me because now now i'm the director of product development so there you go good job good job awesome see kids blogging can work out for you too in the indie I, RPG scene, <laughs> when people always ask me, like, how do, how should I get started? How do I break into the industry? And I always just say, get your stuff out there. And I mean, and it's it's, it's so much easier now than it was because you have like the DMs Guild, and you have you know you, you know you can just throw up on like drive through, and you know I mean, but in two thousand eight, everybody was just kind of networking their blogs together. So I mean, so now it's like a one stop shop. I mean, you know, there's you know there's there's some of the stuff is, you know, is not so good. But, you know, I mean, if your stuff isn't out there, you know, nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to know what you're doing. So, yep. you know. So right before, right before the show, I mean, both of uh, you, you and I connected on the fact that when we published things back in 09, it wasn't even clear that drive through RPG was going to take off. In fact, there were a couple competitors at the time. Uh, now I can't remember what the, what the other, what the, what the company was that they wound up. There you go. RPG now. now. Yep, right. yep, and I so that one. you and I, Michael, both actually published our stuff on a site called Lulu, which which is actually where our stuff still is. So if you want <laughs> Michael's Stonehell Dungeon, you're going to find it at his Lulu.com site. Um, same for me. And uh, at the time, that was the only place that you could do print on demand when we 
first made that stuff, right? Right, that's, and that's exactly why I went that way. No, because I wanted people to have the physical copy of it, so. Yep, yep, same for me. That's exactly exactly same for me. In retrospect, that wasn't, uh, that, was, that wasn't the horse that came out in the lead later on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, still there. The people still find me on there. You know, I mean, every every month I get a check from Lulu. I'm, you know, I'm very happy. You know, it's just, I think it's a working you know. As you say, I'm sure I'm leaving money on the table somewhere if I had. But you know, the problem is, is that I, you know, that requires effort. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so, this is why creative. This is why creative people get busy. <laughs> Our viewer Joshua is saying that he still gets to drive through RPG by going to a bookmark for RPG now. And you know, oh, honestly, I personally like the name better. I actually like the RPG now now was a shorter, clearer name. And I was like, when they combined, I was like, I assumed they were gonna call themselves RPG now and they went the other way. And I'm like, what? Why? But it could be worse, could be drive through RPG now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, speaking of, of Stonehell, uh, Michael, I, I, Dan and I have some personal history with this dungeon. Uh, I've used it multiple times. Uh, I've, I've run games explicitly. I ran a campaign explicitly of Stonehell. I've also dropped it sandbox style into my existing world of my campaign um, and had players uh, glom onto it and, and explore parts of it. Um, now, Dan, you've only played it. Is that right? That's right. So in, in rather the unusual situation for someone who's normally the always DM, uh, I was in a campaign run by our friend Max, who appears on our show Monday nights, uh, for about two years as a player running through Stonehell. And it's interesting because even though you've got uh, Labyrinth Lord on the cover, we were using the DCC rule set to actually run it. And we had, we had a blast doing it that way. So I, I actually have to confess, I haven't read Stonehell because I stayed away from it because I was a player all the way through it. Mm. I, I think yeah. one of... Sorry, go ahead, Michael. No, I was, I was going to say, I mean, that's another one of the advantages of going with Labyrinth Lord. I mean, where you have a stat block, which is, you know, a sentence. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, and, and most of those monsters are quote-unquote classic, you know, you know, fantasy role-playing monsters it doesn't really matter if you're using you know i mean people are running it using fifth edition these days and it's just it's just a matter of like look there are kobolds in here i have a fifth edition monster manual that has kobolds in it you know i mean that's really it's really all you need to do to you know to uh, to adapt it so I, mean, I i think one of the things that makes it so easy to do that is the one page dungeon style that it's written in and i'm, I'm kind of curious to hear you uh, talk a little bit about that michael like what what made you choose to use that uh, do you miss that style would you go back and do it again well sorry so this so i i i was thinking back on this because i knew this question was going to come up so, mm -hmm. so, right, so this is from what i recall now this was 13 years ago so this so there may be there may be documentation that proves otherwise but i remember uh Rob Bowman at that uh, Rob Bowman who had a uh, blog at the time whose name um, who, the name of his blog of course escapes me I, and he hasn't updated it in, in a decade so it doesn't really matter but Rob Bowman came up with the idea perhaps of you could do dungeons by just doing like this simple like you know like write everything on one page mm -hmm. and, and that was absolutely fascinating idea because I mean I look back at some of the stuff that I wrote in the like in the 80s and I was like mimicking the TSR format and that was back in the, the you know like the the, the the fluff you know like really like if you if you go look again look, look at um the undermountain box set there's like some encounters where like one was literally three columns of text i'm like oh no 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 and <laughs> i was looking at a way to do it simpler and i was like wow that sounds really good 
And then uh, Michael Shorten at the time, uh, who also had a blog, he basically came up with like a one-page dungeon for, uh, template that had a little spot, a little box for a map and a little box for watery monsters and all the rest of that stuff. And I said, this is this is really cool. So I said, let me let me give this a shot. And I noticed right off the bat there was no way I was going to be able to do like a true one-page dungeon. So I kind of did what I call the one-sheet dungeon because you know it's still it's technically like one page of paper. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, right. Um, so, uh, so, so I, I discovered that that really taught me how to kind of minimize, like, like what is important to put in dungeon design and like, and like just, and like room descriptions, a couple of description adjectives, you know, uh, you know, the most important bits of it. And then you throw like a monster stat block in there and boom. And every, you know, every DM, every judge, every game master who's going to run it is going to just take that information and utilize it however they're going to do um, so it, it just, it was like such an economy of language. Mm -hmm. And at that point also there was, you know, since it was the old school Renaissance, we were looking back at kind of like the history of, of like Dungeons and Dragons. And back in the day, like everybody had a mega dungeon and like you, like, you know, like you weren't a real dungeon master unless you had at least like a 10 level, you know, dungeon that you could throw your weekly group into, you know, like, you know, constantly. And I had never really done that, you know, having, you know, I started playing in 80 and, you know, and this, you know, going through the, you know, the 80s and everything. Like, I mean, I, mean, I made dungeons, but I never made a huge you know, dungeon thing. So I said, all right, let me do this. Like, you know, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be, a, if I'm going to call myself a dungeon master, I must create a masterpiece. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, so I said, if I'm going to do a whole dungeon. And I, there was no way I would have been able to do that using like the format that I was using in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So this is like, hey, I think I could use this one page format and actually do 10 levels of a dungeon. And that's what, so I, I played around with the idea and I did, I posted on my blog, like what is now section 1A, uh, I think it's, I think it's called the Hell's Antichamber, I think it's been a while since I look at it, but that was the original kind of proof of concept, and then I just started playing from there, and, um, and then I was just like, I like, hey, this can work. And then I was like, okay, so what am I gonna, what's the theme of my dungeon, what's the, like, what makes sense, and, you know, the kind of mad wizard thing had been done you know, like mm -hmm. 100,000 times, so I didn't want to go that. So I started thinking, it's like, okay, like, like what, what really hasn't been done with a dungeon? And then I realized, it's like, why not make it an actual dungeon? I mean, like, a place to put, you know, people who are imprisoned, and that's yeah. where, like, the whole concept of Stonehill being this prison that was, you know, very kind of, um, you know, uh, escape from New York, you know, like, the prisoners, prisoners check in, but they don't check out, and they're kind of left to their own, you know, their own, um, like, whether to sink or swim on their own. And uh, and that was like that's a that sounds like a good idea and uh, and then just it just started rolling from there. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. I yeah. I mean it always reminds me of because uh, I think around that period is the same time that started up the uh, or maybe shortly after uh, the the one page dungeon contest. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I was reading a lot of dungeons in that style, and I saw a Stonehill come out in one page dungeon format, and it's really become honestly a favorite format of mine. And I think. I, I think brilliant to combine that with a mega dungeon because I feel like a lot of people were trying to publish a mega dungeon during that period and failing because it's just such a massive work. And why mm -hmm. not, you know, can, if you condense it down, uh, really force yourself. I feel like that's must have helped. Must have helped get it out the door. Is my theory. I, I think I think too, <laughs> and, and I think it's also that format is really uh, conducive to when you basically have to 
game on the fly or with little preparation or anything, where if you have to read something where it's like, okay, I have to read through this entire level and read all the descriptions of what's going on, what happens in this room, what happens in this room, you can like scan. And, and the, the format of the dungeon alphabet is you have map on one side, you have like description on the other side. So yeah. everything is kind of player face, like, you know, GM facing. So you can just look at everything and, you know, like you can literally see what's going to be in the next room while, you, while your players are arguing what's going on in the first room, whether they should go left or right or anything. Like, okay, all right, you know, I mean, that's. So I, I, mean, I find that I, really important. That that I think that's actually a really important part. Is I find I find in play, uh, you know, assuming that their players actually have agency and actually have freedom to go in a bunch of different directions, I get surprised. Like, oh, they're going down that way. I didn't expect that. And can I find and parse the unexpected room that they're aimed at uh, while they're arguing? <laughs> is actually a really key point. That's actually a great point. I think. Uh -huh. So, um, uh, our viewer John Miller has asked a question, which I think uh, uh, perhaps uh, better uh, encapsulates the second half of my question of, do you miss it? Uh, so, he asks, how does your current adventure writing, e.g. for DCC, compare to your work on Stonehell? Have you learned anything, uh, or has your style changed? Or, or as I guess, as I would ask uh, personally, like, ha did that experience of writing one-page dungeons influence your style that you use today? Um, I th well, I think that doing the one-page dungeon definitely has made me a better designer uh, to the sense of, like, I, I think I can better kind of break down what's important when I'm doing, uh, like, when I'm doing dungeon design. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm, you know, I, as, as every game designer is, you know, you are either a frustrated writer or an actual writer on the side or anything. So, you know, there, and, we, and, and many of us grew up grew up reading, you know, Uncle Gary's Purple Prose or anything, so we can't be wordy, you know, uh, and I, I fall into that from time to time, but I think I would be much worse if I had not, you know, gone through the, the my, like, my own kind of personal boot camp with, uh, with the one-page dungeon. Um, as how my own personal design style has changed, I think... I am I'm more prone toward leading toward the uh, the interesting and the weird. I think when I was doing Stonehell, I was very much trying to do kind of an old school dungeon, you know, to, to the point where like orcs were old school orcs and you know hobgoblins were old school hobgoblins and such like that and everything. And now as I'm older and it's like again, it's like I've kind of done that. So it's like, well, what do we do next? Like, how do we make things different? How do we shake things up? So, you know, so that's why if, like, my stuff was coming through DCC, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's very different from what I was publishing, you know, when I was writing Stonehill. Um, I think, I think the, the Croaking Fane, which basically originally began as, like, connected with uh, Stonehill, is the more, the most classic style, like, OSR type adventure that I have under the, the DCC line. Everything else has got time traveling caveman robots. They've got trips to like you know the, the you know the plane of chaos. It's got you know like a, a fantasy Appalachia. You know it's like you know it's always like okay what what's next? What haven't I done? So uh, so yeah so that it, it's influenced me, but like all in a good way. It, it gave me a solid foundation upon which to build on. I think you know you know I've always thought of DCC as really focusing on that weird and unusual. Like that's that strikes me classic DCC. And now now I'm wondering. Did DCC influence you, or did you influence DCC? Um, I think a little bit, of, a little bit of both. Um, but a lot of that guidance came with from Joe Goodman, uh, and because Joe had Joe had basically read his way through most of like Appendix N, and 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 again, 
I think this comes down very much to the 80s where you, you have D&D as kind of like being that fad and, you know, remember like, you know, the whole satanic panic and everything. And TSR was like, you know, the, the 800-pound gorilla in the room and everything. Like, you know, I mean... And then after a while, like they start, you start publishing like the TSR novels and you know like you know like all the tied in fiction and everything like that. And I enjoyed that at the time. And you know, I mean, it's, some of them are still there's you know, there's still good stuff out there today. But I think eventually what you start doing is like the snake starts eating its tail. So it's like all like you're reading the stuff that TSR is putting out, and then so when you're designing stuff, you're designing the stuff that TSR that was influenced by the TSR stuff. So it starts getting into this vicious circle where we see, keep saying like the same old. So largely vanilla kind of you know not necessarily uninspired but like just kind of it's within their safe within like their safe boundaries mm-hmm. and if you go back and look at you know the appendix and stuff and we were kind of talking before show like the um you know the the dna between fantasy and and science fiction isn't quite so separate so it all intertwines and everything so you do get weirder stuff than you would never normally get like reading kind of stuff that was kind of just cranked out in the 80s and and like the 80s the 80s we saw a lot of really bad fantasy not just esr i mean there was just there was like like yeah, I mean, you could, yeah, like everybody, everything, everybody had to have to do a trilogy, and this is just like, oh my god, this is, you know, like, yeah, the Shinara series, just like, I've, I've already read Tolkien, why do I have to read it again, you know, and in four or four. So, Joe's smart decision of going back and, like, let's go back to the roots of the hobby, and it was like, the roots of the hobby are really, really weird. <laughs> so, that kind of gave us all carte blanche to, like, to kind of break out of that, that mold. So, um, so yeah, so it's, and then once, that's once we had that, once we had that permission, then, you know, the gloves were off and, and DCC really became, I think DCC became something different than what Joe envisioned. And, uh, and I think, I think, I think we're all happier because of that. <laughs> so, How so? What, how, elaborate on that. How, in what, in what way do you think that's different? If you if you look at like well, one thing is like uh, like when DCC first came out, it kind of got lumped in with like the retro clone. So it was like you know it's like it was, this was you know this was uh, you know it's using the three point five engine to do you know kind of classic dungeon. But if you look at it, I mean I, I still say that it, although it's called dungeon crawl classes, it's kind of a misnomer. It's it's not the best rules to be running like like I, I'm sure we'll get on this and I've said this before, but I would not run a mega dungeon focused campaign using DCC like I that would not I would no not not have a deal. because I mean there's like there's there's so much better ways to do it like BX BX is the great I mean it has rules for opening doors and rules for listening and stuff and everything if you look at DCC it's got rules for like you know, invoking, you know, the, the host of chaos. And, and, you know, and we, have, we have an adventure where at first level you go to the, you go to like the plane of chaos and you deal with them. Like, you know, that's, that's a far cry from killing rats and kobolds, you know, like, you know, to, to, to make second level. So, uh, so it's very much has always been like, okay, like let's, you know, and let's just, let's, let's have fun with it. You know, um, I, I say to, the, I say to this day, it's like, if anything that the, I ran like a big campaign over uh, when we were all, done with uh during the covid uh, the quarantine of last year and the one thing that i learned from that is that i had now have on my uh, on my on my actual you know my actual referee screen um the one that is actual referee screen and not a yes album cover this is my advice for all for all game masters no matter what you're running everything just like right at the top of it where you can see it it's at eye level all the time right no boring stuff 
I, you know, and you can use a different S word if you, you know, if you want. That's what I personally have there because, you know, and, um, you know, the, but uh, it's, it's just, it's like, we're here for fun and everything. And, and I know there's a whole movement. People, there are people who do love the verisimilitude of reality that you kind of get in like some really immersive games and everything like that. But at the same time, you know, I'm competing with, I'm competing with Games of Thrones. I'm competing with like all the rest of this, where somebody can sit down and be a passive, you know, uh, a path, get passive entertainment. And I have to bring, I have to bring my A game, and I don't have a budget. You know, I mean, I could, my budget is your imagination. So why be tied down into another, you know, thirty by thirty room with you know one d six orcs in it and a, and a treasure chest in it when I can be, you know, in the acid jungle with psychedelic plants that drip, you know, caustic stuff, and you have like mutant gecko creatures who you know have, are, 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 are you know armed with like a like a hot rod that they stole from a time traveler. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, I you know. <laughs> That's that's kind of my that's kind of my 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 design philosophy these days. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> you know, talking about uh, super weird uh, classic uh, literature settings uh, like things that have uh, ghouls with transparent skin and stuff like that. <laughs> our, our viewer uh, Joe the lawyer uh, is uh, has used the super chat feature on YouTube, and we do have that on now. So if you absolutely have a question that you must put have us put in front of uh, our guest like Michael Curtis today. Please, you know, feel free to use that uh, YouTube super chat to get it to our attention. So Joe is asking, uh, particularly your Lankmar series for DCC, right? And I and Paul and I have played in games that you designed at least at a convention at one point. And so Joe's asking, and maybe Paul wants to put this on I, the screen if you get a chance. Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, I will even uh, add in there. I believe. Um believe that uh, so michael I, I you and i met uh at TotalCon, and i believe i actually got to play in like an early play test where you had leaned mm -hmm. in and sort of said you know don't tell anyone but we're playing Lankmar. <laughs> <laughs> so joe's asking what's next for Lankmar? it's awesome man and uh are you going to uh and are you going to ShireCon next weekend to maybe play some Lankmar? Uh, I will answer both of those questions. Uh, the first question is: is that we are currently, uh, uh, if you've been following Goodman Games, you know that we have we have we have completed the Kickstarter for uh, the Jack Vance Dying Earth series. So that is like that's like the new favorite stepchild right now. Um, <laughs> I am currently working on uh, Lankbar Phase Two. So uh, we still have the license to do Lankbar stuff and everything. It's just that you know we uh, we have X amount of writing staff. And a lot of that writing staff is currently, you know, tied up doing Dying Earth. So the idea is, I'm doing all the I'm doing all the prep work on Lankbar Phase Two. So as soon as Dying Earth gets done, I can get my writing staff back and say, okay, <laughs> like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. This is what you're doing. This, you know, and then, uh, yeah. But there, there's more. There's more Lankbar stuff is, is down the line. Obviously, I have a great love for for Liber's work and everything, and I I'm looking forward to what's doing next. You know, it's like I'm I'm actually. I never thought I'd be dealing with Mega Dungeon again, but I am in. Uh, I am for Lankmar Phase Two. I'm just figuring out how I'm going to do it that it's going to be different from Stonehill. So and it's, it's it's challenging, but you know, I'm very happy with with what I've got so far. So. Awesome. awesome. Oh, and I, I will be at Aircon next weekend. That was the other part of the question. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. You know, if you're interested in the uh, the Dying Earth product that uh, Michael just talked about, just a couple weeks ago, we had Julian Burnick and Bob Brinkman on talking about the Dying Earth box set, actually, which looks like a wonderful product. So you can see more about that in a prior episode. <laughs> so, excellent. I, excellent. I, 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 yeah. 
They, I mean, uh, the, I knew that they, I, obviously, I, I'm like the Langbar guy. That was my, so luckily I was very happy not to have like an ore for, in the water for Dying Earth. Uh, I have seen what they've produced and they've done amazing work, but I'm very glad I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to shepherd <laughs> that water. I, I, I needed a great after doing, doing Langbar. And um, so, so we'll see, we'll see how that works out. We, we love both of them. And like, I mean, I certainly feel like Fritz Lieber with Lankmar probably wrote the, the most D&D-ish stories, right, prior to D&D. I feel like they're the most, the, the most D&D stories that were invented prior to the game form. And our viewer John Miller now is asking, what about a Lankmar mega dungeon? Like, what about Quarmall? Quarmall, which of course was the first, actually the first Lankmar story. What about that as an adventure setting? What about that, Mike? I'm just, I'm just gonna say I mentioned the word Lankmar and Mega Dungeon. In the <laughs> oh. all, the, all the teases oh, we got. It. Excellent, excellent. Oh, You're being no. cagey. I get it. I understand. It's like a puzzle. We'll see what happens. You know, no, I, uh, you know, there's things I want to do, and uh, you know, if I, I, if I, if I, if I can put it with a good, good word with a guy in charge, maybe I'll be able to pull it off. You know, I was like. <laughs> No, actually, I, now I saw that you like while you were working on Lankmar, you actually discovered like a previously unread manuscript by Lieber. How the how the heck did that happen? Yeah, that's the advantage of actually going down to like the University of Houston, which has all his papers. Uh, you know, I uh, like I I have a degree in archives and records management. I have a master's in library science. Before I get you know, made a bunch of poor choices that led me to director of product development for DCC. So, uh, but, but, you know, so I, 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 when we were doing the initial Lankbar stuff, like I found out and said, Hey, this is the paperwork down there. And I said, a really cool stretch goal would be for me to go down there and see if we can find anything, you know, to adapt into it. And, uh, and sure enough, we got that stretch goal and I flew down there and was going through some things. And I said, found this thing. I was like, um, I know what this. I know where this is going, but this has never been done. But this, I've never seen this anywhere before. And I've read a lot of library, and I've, I've seen some of his other less known stuff, which is out there and everything. So it's just like, wow. And uh, and basically, I was able to take a lot of the stuff that was in that story and write the uh, the Land of Eight Cities uh, supplement on it. So there's a lot of material in that which has appeared nowhere else before. And it's technically canon because Liber wrote it, although it was never really published. So I don't know if it was, I believe it was a draft of something that he was working on. And then like ideas changed because I think a lot of what he was working on ended up into uh, the Swords of Lightbar. But, but, but there was stuff in there which it, it appeared nowhere else. So I was glad to be able to kind of give that kind of, you know, uh, some exposure after you know, 60 years or however long I've been sitting there. So Fascinating. Fascinating. I, okay, now I'm going to share one of these. I'm going to share one of these, like what happened in our game stories, because I was playing at Total Con in a in a game of Lankmar actually with our, our friend Ian McGarty, and uh, the, the the gag was, of course, we were using you know DCC rules with the random you know spell adjudications, and both Ian and Amy had spellcasters, and I had the good fortune of I was actually getting my spells to succeed over and over, and Ian's wizard was failing. First time, second time, third time, fourth time. So he started just shooting things with a crossbow and pretending that that was a spell he was casting. And so we, we, all three of us, everyone at the table started just laughing uproariously at me, my character and Ian's character arguing with each other about whether he was actually doing any magic at all or not. So I have a really fond memory of being jumped by the rat men in a Lankmar adventure and, and spawning one of our favorite game sessions, honestly. And Ian, you want to know something? And that sounds like that would be right at home in Liber's writing. I mean, because the one thing that Liber always, always, he 
what I've always enjoyed about his writing is that I call like the uh, Favorite Professors are what I call blue collar heroes. I mean, they're not. I mean, and the you know, like a lot of the a lot of the fantasy heroes are like solitary, you know, like loners, you know, and but Favorite Grimm, they're partnerships, so you get that repartee back and forth of them. Um, I I will I, I to my dying day, my favorite bit of library writing is uh, the introduction to the Swords of Lankmar, which is literally Favorite the Grey Master coming back to Lankmar uh, from a uh, from from an adventure that didn't go too well, and everybody they owe money for them is waiting at the gates of Lankmar, and the two of them are going back. They're like, didn't you pay them before we went? It's like, no, I didn't have any money. <laughs> that's that's awesome <laughs> can you can you can you see faffer and the gray mouse are going through stone hell do you think that would do you think that would fit if someone if someone ran that as a game um you know i think they'd get bored <laughs> <laughs> It's strange enough. <laughs> Unless it went really deep. It gets weirder the further you get, but you know, like, no. I have a, I have a question for you about uh, Stonehell. So I remember um, buying Stonehell when it, when it first came out, and then there was a, a gap of time between the first volume and the second volume. Um, and the funny thing is, you know, I'm trying to avoid falling into the same trap Dan did in describing my, uh, my sessions. But let's just say that. I made up a lot of stuff about the plated mage because it was kind of hinted at a little bit in the first book, but not really elaborated on. And then by the time I got the second book, I was like, oh, this is very different from what I made up. How do I, how do I completely change that? Um, I'm curious, like, when you were writing it, did you know the entirety? Did you have the whole thing in your head and you just needed to break it up into volumes? Absolutely no. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I, you know, I, I, as any writer would say, you're constantly surprised by your own creation. <laughs> I, I had, I mean, uh, uh, one of the, one of the reasons, actually, the main reason it got split into two books is because, again, it was kind of what Lulu was able to do at that point, and I know I wanted to get binding and everything. I wanted to have soft cover, and the, it was like I get a certain bright point if I, if I limit it to whatever it turned out to be, 120, 130 pages or whatever like that. So I was like, there's no way that I can get all of it in there. And uh, and after about five levels plus the kind of the surface level and everything, I was like, I was ready to take a little bit of break from it. I said, I'll come back to it. And that that I came back to it like six years later. But you know, <laughs> but I did come back to it. I like finishing stuff like yeah. yeah. Um. So I knew that you would because I knew that I did not want to have like quote unquote drow, but I did want to have some sort of evil subterranean race. So that's why the kind of like the last the last quadrant of it, you kind of introduce like the. Um, uh, the bad guys who's been so long. I don't know. The real, I said the real, the real down from from uh, from uh, our coming. You know, from uh, anyway. But so that's like that's like their the, that final entrance way is kind of into their subterranean lair. I knew we'd kind of go into a you know kind of vault of the drow type situation from there. And I did know I had an idea of what was going to be on the tenth level, but it was like kind of like everything in between kind of developed as I went. So. You know, one thing I wanted to, I just wanted to throw it is at the time, um, and, and, if, and, if, and if one of our viewers, you know, does, hasn't seen Stonehell, I found, a really, I found a really great quote from our friend of the show, James Malashevsky, at the time when he reviewed Stonehell, and just briefly what he wrote at the time, he said, in the end, Stonehell Dungeon is probably the best mega dungeon published to date in any form, certainly the best to come out of the old school renaissance. And, you know, our, our luminaries in the industry 
were unable to get their Mega Dungeons published. So we never saw Gygax's Greyhawk. We only saw Arneson's Blackmore in the in the sketchiest of forms or revisions later on. So I mean, you know, James Mal himself had had great challenges getting his Mega Dungeon out. So uh, it's it's really fascinating that you're in, you're in really rarefied terrain. Michael is actually having successfully published a Mega Dungeon because most people just crash and burn when they try to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if that sometimes I can be like a dog with a bone when I get like, to get something and you know, I just don't want to give up on it. Or I, I think it was just like, um, I don't know, I, I think it just it happened just at the, the, the perfect time in my life where, you know, I, I had the, the wherewithal and the interest and the time. And there was just something in the air with the OSR movement at that point that, you know, it was, everything said, felt, felt kind of fresh and creative. And there was there was just such. I mean, the uh, the OSO waters got a little, you know, muddied as it further went on. But like in 2008, there was just it just it seemed like everybody was just like at the movement at, at the start of every fresh movement, you know, whether whether it's the OSR or you know or the punk scene or you know or you know the yippies or whatever. There's always that sense of collaboration and like we're all on the same side there. And egos don't get in the way until things get further along. So like this was just the perfect time to be doing this. So um, I was just like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll throw it out there and we'll see what happens. I certainly did not expect to, you know, like, I didn't expect it to have any sort of impact. I didn't want people to be like, oh, my God, this is, like, the best way to present a, a dungeon. You know, like, this is so, you know, in, it, I mean, there, I, I I would love to say, like, this was all part of my grand plan, but it wasn't. It literally was just, like, I have an idea for a dungeon. I'm going to put it out there, you know. Like, the, originally, like, the first two levels were free on my blog. I mean, you know, and, and then it wasn't until, like, somebody was like, Mike, you can probably charge money for this. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I guess I could, you know. I, th I think, and I think the, the I think the original, I think the, I still have the like the the first album is still like thirteen ninety nine or something like that. I haven't like adjusted the. It was like it was just, just cheap as heck. Popularity <laughs> 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 too, you know. It's like uh, I can get this for less than twenty bucks, and you know. <laughs> so. We have all benefited from your lack of uh, business insight, uh, Michael. Oh, Thank definitely. you. <laughs> definitely, definitely gotten more than thirteen ninety nine worth out of this thing. But you've gotten okay. But you've gotten better, right? Okay, so you're you're feel you're feeling much better. Thirteen, fifteen years after that fact, to the point where again we're, we're we have the the great opportunity to talk to you on the weekend, where you were announced to be the uh, brand new Goodman Games director of product development for DCC. So. Uh, now that you have the steering wheel, uh, what is what? Is, what? Do you, what? Do you, how do you plan to redirect uh, DCC's product in the future? Um, I'm, I will. Let's just say is that the uh, I'm I'm not going to go crazy. Let's put it this way: is that because we? I mean, next next year will be ten years of DCC, and DCC has been gifted with one of the best fan bases I have ever encountered in all my life of nerddom i mean it is some of the most most uh friendly most creative people that i have ever had the the pleasure of dealing with uh both like online and in person everything and the last thing i want to do is alienate any of these wonderful people who keep me employed so uh so you know so it's it's going to be more of the same in a lot of way don't expect you know like uh a lot of the stuff which you probably it won't really be noticeable. Like we're trying to get things like like right now I'm you know we're we're trying to get things like codified with kind of like layout and you know we're we're changing we're going back and we're we're working with kind of like updating some of the language and everything because it's been ten years and you know like you know uh, mores have changed and and we realize that we need to be more inclusive and stuff. So so a lot of that is is like kind of on the short 
like short list of stuff which really has to be due. Um, obviously, we have a bunch of Kickstarters which still need fulfillment. Um, so it's not like I it's not like I, I started the job this week, you know. So things are going to change next week. It's more like we have to get a lot of stuff going out, and you know, we, we've still got to fulfill, you know, uh, Crypt of the Devil Lich. We've got the Dungeon Denizens book planned for later this year. It's been announced that we're doing a um, uh, Janelle Jackway's Dark Tower is going to be coming out. So you know, we're still doing the, the, the you know the, the prep for doing that and everything. So there's a lot of orders in the order. I you know I know what Joe's plans are for the coming years and everything, and I know that the things I want to add to that schedule. But you know, it's like you know, it's, it's again. It always comes down to the fact that um, we have a finite amount of staff, and uh, and we have you know your ideas are always bigger than what your you know your your your, your staffing allows you to do. So we are not we are not Paizo, we are not wizards. We, you know, it's just like you know. Uh, so and and as I say, a lot of my writers right now are uh, currently working on Dying Earth. So it's you know so we're we're you know we're 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 expanding kind of our writing base and uh, we you know, we had an open call for editors uh, a couple months back so we're kind of expanding that base as well so it's 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 it, we're, we're we're laying a lot of foundation for you know uh, soaring higher and better in the future right now so um, so nothing nothing is going to be immediately noticeable and uh, when thing when big things are happening I am leaving it up to Joe in order to make all those announcements because I, I I've only been on my job for a week but I really really like it. I don't want to lose it. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm going to try here to get Michael to say something that makes Joe on Monday say, ah, I don't know if this is working out, Michael. Um, is, is, but but we, have, we are huge fans of the taste level of yourself and Joe and everybody at DCC. We, you know, we had Janelle J. Quays on as a guest earlier this season talking about her classic Dark Tower and Caverns of Thracia and all such stuff as that. So if anybody wants to see that episode, we, we had such a great time talking to Janelle, as a matter of fact. Uh, so, to be, I mean, to be clear, you're saying some things need to get tuned a little bit in DCC. Does that mean there's a possibility of a second edition or revised rule book or is that on the no, no, we, do, we do the same thing every time we reprint the the rule book um you know the uh we'll, we'll swap out one of the adventures in it we'll go back in if there's a typo that exchanged or if there's a typo that's that's that snuck in somehow we there was we had we had the i think the most recent printing it was this it was the simplest thing it's like some there was a, an addition that your luck modifier affects your spell check and yeah. that technically only comes into play if you have a certain um, a certain birth sign, which does so. But that caused so much confusion. It's like everybody's like, "No, your luck sign." I said, said the rules like that's not what we. It's not meant it that way. So like one like the first thing I went through was like, "We are removing this. We are never going to speak of this ever again." You know. <laughs> So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff like that. You know, it's, and uh, you know, and just and just kind of um, so we, we just. Uh, the, the the biggest the biggest thing that I'm aware of coming into DCC in my role is that because uh, DCC's roots are in Appendix N, uh, which are the literature you know Gary Gygax's favorite li you know famous list of writers that influenced D and D, and most of those writers were writing in the 20s and the 30s and the you know the, you know in the, you know the start and middle of last century, the, with the exception I think two names they're all male. Uh, there and there's not a single person of color in that group or anything like that. So it's how do we how do we make DCC? I, I think I, a lot of sense. I think it's a, the same issue that Chaosium has always run into with Call of Cthulhu. I mean, you're basically you're you're doing you're perversing a game which is based on the work of like Lovecraft, and Lovecraft is not the was not the most forward thinking gentleman whatsoever. 
but yet, yet Chaos it makes itself very kind of accessible, and it's 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 you know it's very popular. I mean, it's like the, what the number one role playing game in Japan. You know, I mean, I mean, I think I think at Lovecraft heard that he would you know he would he would get back into his coffin and bury himself deeper. You know, I mean, so so you know, a lot of things. It's the same thing. It's like um, I mean, you know, it's like it's, you know, I mean, you know, we're not trying to. We're, we're just. I mean, we're a community. We're gamers, and you know, and you know, if we we have to be open. We have to be open. You know, as us, you know, anything that is is good for gamers at a whole is 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 good for you know for all of us. So yeah. So it's you know, we, it's just, we you wind know. up talking about right. We wind up talking about Lovecraft on every single conversation. Frankly, like, there's almost no there's almost no episode with a guest that goes by that we don't wind up, you know, touching on the 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 HPL you know at the root of the pulp literature and the root of the industry ultimately. So it's it, it's it's good to be you know cognizant of that. And um, uh, I mean, he didn't even like Irish people, right? I mean, I I mean, I always you know it's it's you know it's it's a hot point issue for a lot of people. But you know, right. I I always I always think of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali famously said, you know, a person who thinks the same way at fifty as they thought when they were twenty has wasted thirty years of their life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now we're we're in. We're, Role playing games have been around for more than forty years. So if we're still thinking the same way that you know role playing games, and not even just from design philosophy. I mean, just game design has changed, but you know the audience has changed, and and for the better. I mean, if you go, if you went to like Gen Con in, in nineteen seventy seven and took a look at like who was attending the call, guarantee you ninety nine percent white men. You know, from you know from the Midwest and everything. You go to Gen Con. Well, you know, I'm going to say 2019. You know, <laughs> it's clearly that you know, I mean, fantasy and all this stuff is has exploded and and it's, it's become mainstream. So we have to, you know, we have to be welcoming to people. Now, I mean, that's just the sort of way. I mean, and because we because we get a lot of the inspiration from Appendix N, which is not the most forward thinking when it comes to certain things, but it's very forward thinking. Another thing is just sheer creativity. It's like how do we how do we influence how do we take all the good stuff and leave the bad behind and just say come on enjoy it and come on hang out play our wacky little game that where you roll dice and you know you could you might you know blow up an elephant with a you know like with a with an ill task spell or you know you summon up a you know, summon up a, an angel and uh, you know he or she shows up and you know hangs out with you for one d six rounds because the spell went the way you wanted or you know uh, or your, your your spells don't work so you suddenly your crossbow is a spell casting yeah I mean it's you know that, that, that's all. <laughs> We should point out that we just have here in 2021, we just happen to be having a conversation the, the week that Gen Con is going to happen at the end of this week, actually. So right. un unless there was some announcement re recently in the last couple hours that I missed, uh, there, there actually is an in-person Gen Con happening at the end of this week, actually. Um, so good luck to everybody. Good, good luck to everybody who is traveling there for the in-person Gen Con in September in, in 2021 here. Um, and uh, we and we and we we hope that as things open up more and get safer in the future, that everybody gets to be involved in our hobby. So I think that that's well put. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so since since we're in the realm of of hot topics, I, I want to bring up oh. something that is clearly going to to erupt into a massive fight between Dan and Michael. Uh, Michael, how do you personally feel about the unusual dice in DCC? I have no problem whatsoever. You know, I mean, it's, it's, they're they're a tool, just like everything else, like every other night. <laughs> does so, it, does I mean, it ever get in the way when you're like running stuff at cons to, to have to be like, "Yep, there's more dice. You you don't have enough dice." 
I, I, I don't understand the pushback about demons like dice. Like, you know, it's like, oh, God, I have to buy more dice. Oh, oh, you know, like, who the hell are you? Like, are you <laughs> I think I would like to quote my good friend Howard in, in pointing out the non-Euclidean nature, the, ant, the breaking of symmetry in the universe is a fundamentally a, a corrupt attack on our mental systems that has a possibility right. of driving us all insane permanently. So that would, that one, I'm gonna I'm gonna come down and say no. I I, I, I disagree with that, Mr. Curtis. Oh man, I just I it's, it's that wonder. It's that wonder of you see see what the problem is. You you got too old and you're too jaded. Do you remember the magic of when you were a child and you realized that there was a, tw- a die with twenty sides with twenty yeah. sides to pull out of the mind? And now it's perfectly symmetrical. And it's perfect, and they're all triangles, and they're all—they all have perfect symmetry, of which there's only five such platonic solids in the universe. And I loved it. You're right. It's, oh, it's all good, baby. <laughs> I mean, you know, if I can blow your mind with a D7, you know, it's like you know, I can tell. Like, oh, we're gonna get along. Foul, foul things to say about the D7 in particular. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Oh, was it, right. well, anyway, so I have a math degree, so I can I can I, I can write a proof on this issue if anybody needs me to. But well, enough of that. Enough of that. I think I think we've made our TED talk after the show where he will be going. Our viewer William Hel- Hellman is pointing out that Dan is still having issues with D10s, and I, yes, I don't I don't forgive the D10s for breaking the symmetry of the dice oh, in D D. I do agree. Anyway, Mr. Curtis, I 100% respect your insane opinion. <laughs> You just have to let it go, man. It's all good. <laughs> and don't don't stay up late worried about probabilities and percentiles and everything. Just just roll some dice and have a have a laugh. That's that's all my attitude. Well, I, mean, I, I love when there's new dice coming out. I mean, you know, it's like I mean, I I bought a I I bought a Zakihedron at the last Gen Con I was at. I said I said I haven't had a Zakihedron forever. I said Lou, Lou was there. I said well, who's Zaki? He said Lou, I want a golf ball. Let me buy one. You know, so I have it. You know, I was I would not roll it with, with, on a table. They didn't have guards on the side to keep it from rolling off. But I got one. You know, so I, I got D sixty. I can bring, you know, I just, you know, you can bring your, your D20 to a dice fight, but, you know, you're going to be outgunned, baby. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to ask Lou about this. I will say, I, I drew the line on that die that came out with supposedly, like, you could roll every sort of die on it whatsoever. It was like the one thing, like, it was like a Kickstarter, maybe about 40. It was probably like a Kickstarter yeah, like or a 120 or 240. Yeah. Like, like a booklet that he had to, you know, like, okay, like, if this symbol comes up, but yeah, I was, I was like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, uh, I have a friend that, who, that, who runs. That one actually sort of makes a little bit of sense. <laughs> a, oh, dear. I have a friend who runs DCC at conventions and always brings the sets of dice uh, in egg cartons because there's a perfect number of dice when you use the, the original polyhedrals plus the DCC ones that they all, each one fits in a, in a, in an egg carton. And then, and then presumably... You know, if you have to go up or down a step, it's very easy to go to the next one. Okay, just put it back in, the little, in this little container, pull out the next one. I will say that everybody else that I play with uh, is really, it has a lot of fun with the non-platonic uh, DCC dice. So I'm, I'm clearly a curmudgeon about that. No 
<laughs> so next time at TotalCon and you Dan's been playing one of my games, I'm like, oh, sorry, Dan, you have a modifier. You're going to put a little D7 for this? And he's like, I would make sure that you never roll an actual Euclidean like, geometric die the entire day. That's it. <laughs> oh, look at you have a gun. It's just a D24. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that because you're going to see what I get to what I say at the table in a game when I'm not on the show. <laughs> which is which is not allowed on the actual program. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. That's awesome. So much creativity in DCC and it's it's really great to see that that enthusiasm that creativity come through. You know, I have a really super soft I have a super soft place in my heart for the DCC rulebook. Because, as you say, at the time when Joe wrote it initially, he was looking at a bunch of old school blogs. And he's got, in addition to Appendix N, which has, right, the literature that we're looking at, he also added an Appendix O of online resources, and he put my blog in Appendix O. So I, I'm, I'm really fond of, of uh, having one line, one little line reference in the DCC rules, which is great. So thanks to Joe for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Michael, is there anything else you can tell us uh, coming up uh, on on the horizon for you in your new role? Um, well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's well. Uh, a lot of people have been asking me, uh, "Are we are we still going to be? Are we still going to? Uh, will I still be writing?" And the answer is yes, yes, I will still be writing. Uh, obviously, my output will probably not be as much as it used to be. But considering I've been on sabbatical for the last two years and haven't really been writing anything, I mean, anything is going to be an improvement. So, um, uh, but so yeah, so I will, uh, you know, it's just, it's going to take me a little, little bit of time to figure out, um, like how much of my day I can, cause, cause before I took this, I, when I was writing, I was doing 2000 words a day. I don't see that happening anymore, but I'm still going to continue to work on stuff. The advantage of this is that I have a lot more say over what project I do get to work on. <laughs> so I'm like, Hey, that looks fun. I think I want to put myself right on that, you know? So, you know, um, but yeah, but there, there will still be stuff coming out under the heart byline. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, poll doing when we can do uh link bar again. Um, so, but yeah, it's a, it's, 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 it's going to be it's going to be very exciting. I am looking forward to it. Um, obviously, uh, working full time in the gaming industry, I feel like I've won the nerd lottery twice now. Like first breaking my way into it, and now kind of being a hey, I have a grown up job with like grown up benefits and everything. And you know, it's like yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah. So I'm I, I am very ha after especially after the last project where I worked on where I commuted eighty miles every day. Uh, being able to do everything from home, I'll be very happy if that I. If, if my life turns out that I turn in my final deadline and then they just put me in the ground, like right after that, you know, it's really, really good for my, my DCC career. I'm done, you know. <laughs> I have said that in the past, Michael, and then I've had friends say, nope, you're going to do that, and then you're going to want more. And you know what? They were right about that. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah. but we we you know we're fortunate with what we get to do. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. We are we are close to our end of time here. So any any final thoughts on on Stonehell or uh, or DCC or any any topic? I am very I'm very proud of Stonehell. I'm glad people are still buying it and everything. I did hardly uh, hardly expected this to be the case. I would you know when I put it out there, I figured I might sell fifty copies. And uh, here we are, 2021, and you know people are still buying it, people are still discovering it, and everything. So, people are playing it on all different systems, and I, I guess, I guess this one-page dungeon thing worked out for you know for. I mean, it, it's almost evergreen, you know. Like I don't know what, I don't know what D and D six is going to be, but if they have kobolds and orcs in it, theoretically, you could run it using Stonehill. So I'm very happy about that. Great. 
That's great. And I would just throw in there, my, our, my experience is as a player running through Stone Hell, it works great with DCC. Dungeon Crawl Classics is a great system, and we had a blast with that with that combination. So uh, we've got a link in our YouTube description uh, to get to Michael's uh, Stone Hell Dungeon adventure that's on Lulu, and we'll have links to Goodman Games, and of course, look for all the other stuff for Goodman Games, the Lankmar Adventures, in, uh, adventures that Michael has has produced, the Dying Earth box set, and all kinds of uh, cool stuff that's coming up in the future. Awesome. Uh, yeah, definitely look for that uh, in the description of the of the video. Uh, if you have any um, feedback, comments, questions about our experience running Stonehell, or what works or what doesn't, uh, or uh, who was the plated mage anyway, uh, leave us leave us some comments <laughs> in the video. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and maybe that will uh, spawn a, a subsequent episode for us here on Wandering DMs. Yeah, and of course, remember that you can like and follow and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs. Maybe you're new to the show. We are on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and also GitHub if you're a coder. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites, so please look for us there, and you'll get updates about new episodes and future guests. If you prefer to listen to our shows in audio-only podcast format, you can do that. Uh, they're, they're available on our website at wanderingdms.com. Uh, we, we got behind a little bit on producing those podcasts, but they've been rolling out for anybody who's been paying attention over the past week, and we're catching up very rapidly. Uh, you can also listen to them on third-party carriers such as Google Podcast or iTunes or Spotify. If you're listening to this show on one of those sites, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site. That helps other users uh, find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And of course, our uh, thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DM show. We could not do what we're doing and have great guests like Mr. Michael Curtis here today without your generous support. If you're in a position to join our patrons, please do go to patreon.com slash wandering the ends. And uh, again, over the summer, we got a little bit behind on the benefits on that. Um, we released a new breakfast briefing a couple days ago. So if you are a patron and you haven't seen that, please go to Patreon. You'll see our behind the scenes video that we released a couple days ago. Uh, in addition to that, we do have discounts on merchandise. We have access to our private Discord server that we host live chats immediately after every Sunday show. We'll be there in about five or 10 minutes, as a matter of fact. Uh, and we try to have monthly behind the scenes videos and polls and surveys and our after party chat in a couple minutes. Uh, upcoming shows this week on Wandering Ams. Paul is back with 10 Dead Rats Monday night, of course. Uh, Isabel and I will be back with our D&D war game Saturday uh, after we had a technical glitch last night. A little awkward there. And then we're planning on being back next Sunday for uh, part two where we wrap up our dungeon design dash where we try to do a, a whole one-page dungeon in just like an hour or two. So we'll be looking for that next Sunday. Uh, that's the plan, right, Paul? Yep. Okay. Uh, Michael, thank you enormously for joining us this Sunday. This was a great chat. We really appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with the new position. I hope that goes super, super well. We expect great things out of DCC in the future. <laughs> uh, don't forget, viewers, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, so we hope you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone. <laughs>